everybody. Another episode of your favorite video game podcast, Bounty Board, episode 145. I'm your always host, Caleb Sawyer. And uh, it's another one of those episodes. It's another one of those nobody here, no one to hang out. Just you and me. Just me and all of you. I say all of you because it makes me feel better that more people are listening to this. How's everybody doing? It's fucking March. Isn't that wild? The Dark Souls 5? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Elden Ring is out. Fucking The Dying Light 2 is out. People are playing a lot of games. A lot of games are being made. A lot of conversations being had about how games should be made. Which is always interesting. What I find myself coming back to more recently is how many people write about games that are always writing about games. And it makes me wonder how many of the reviews you read are negatively impacted by the fact that us, as reviewers, just have to play everything. One of the things you'll hear, one of the things you'll see when you read reviews about open world games specifically is that so many people have a hard time drawing a distinction between a repeated mechanic that's used in the open world a lot and Ubisoft-branded open worlds. It's interesting. Ubisoft kind of pioneered, and maybe not pioneered so much as perfected, the open world for a lot of video games in a way that a lot of them have copied that formula. After all, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But as time progresses and as more and more games come out that seem to follow in the same footsteps, you start to see people almost as if they're banging their head against the same wall see the Ubisoft formula and become almost immediately turned off. One of the reviews I read about Elden Ring from Waypoint, which is Vice's gaming vertical, commented on the fact that it still gives in to a little bit of a Ubisoft-y feel and it, it surprised me to see perhaps not even surprised me it's just interesting to me that a studio could sorry a publisher could create a formula for something that's used in so many games that it's become its own noun and adjective it's its own proper noun it's its own full concept how many people making games desperately hope that something they make have this kind of footprint? And how angry are we to see it every time we do? It's strange and funny and, I don't know, maybe maybe a little hypocritical? A long time ago, uh, 2012, that's the first time I've said, oh, this episode, I'm upset with that. A long time ago, probably around 2012, I wrote an article about Call of Duty, and in fact, I'm going to see if I can't find it while I'm talking. But I wrote an article about Call of Duty. Uh, damn it. I don't like saying, uh. It's because I didn't know what I was going to say next. Anyway, I wrote an article about Call of Duty, and less about Call of Duty per se, and more about the fact that Call of Duty has been coming out for... Jesus, 24 years now? No, 23? It's been a lot. 
And the more I think about it, the more I would experience them, the more I became disillusioned. And it's okay. It's okay to become disillusioned with a thing. I started this off by talking about Ubisoft, after all. But I reached a point where I realized that all of the complaining I was doing, it was 2016. I wrote this in 2016. I realized that what I was doing wasn't getting angry at Call of Duty as much as I was getting angry at the fact that I kept playing every single fucking Call of Duty. And if you play a game that releases every year with slight changes every year, you're eventually going to get very tired of it. So what merit, I thought back then in 2016, do we have criticizing something that relaunches or releases the same every year? It's one of those things where, again, if it's not broken, why try and fix it? Call of Duty sells 40 million units a year or something absurd like that. Obviously, they don't need to change it. And sure, we're getting a, ga a gap year between Call of Duties that they've just recently announced. They're delaying the one from this year, allowing Vanguard to play out and whatever happens with Warzone to play out until they can release maybe a Warzone 2, which would be after its third year. Or another big update to Warzone. But the Treyarch and Sledgehammer games are pushed until at least 2023. Of course, this comes on the heels of the news that, you know, Xbox bought or has made their intention public to acquire Activision Blizzard, a deal that probably won't go through until next year if it goes through at all because people are afraid of the antitrust issue. We've talked about that over on the Nerdy Bits show. Feel free to check that out, nerdybits.com slash nerdybitshow. Anyway, it's interesting that we complain when something copies the same formula over and over again. I think in open world games like Elden Ring, it's maybe a little more prescient. Not prescient, but just appropriate. There are so many verbs that you have when you approach a game, right? And the mechanics and the the diegetic nature of interaction in games, right? The things that you do and how well they convince you you're doing them in the world that is being created. It's important for those things to feel fresh sometimes. One of the things I've loved about teaching and one of the things I think is most tricky about teaching about video games is that there are no concrete answers for anything. If you say... If you ask a student, what is the purpose of a video game? You'll get 10 different answers if there's 10 different kids. Some of those will be based on helping people have fun. Some of those will be based on creating fun gameplay loops. Some of those answers will be focused on allowing people to escape. The fun and tricky thing in, about video games is that all those answers are correct in some degree after some fashion. The problem is that fun and escape are all subjectively defined. Every person has to find their own. And so when I read articles like, again, Waypoint writing about Far Cry 6, and I don't 
I don't blame the person for writing this. I think it was Matt Galt. I don't blame him for not having the fortitude to get through that game. I didn't finish it. That's largely because as many of us or many of you listening will know, backlogs are a thing and it's really easy to have ADD when playing games and ooh, something new and shiny's come out. I'm going to go play that. But Galt couldn't get through the game. I'm maybe misrepresenting who wrote this, but the author of the review for Waypoint couldn't get through Far Cry 6 because they said they were tired of that kind of game. And I get that. I 100% get that. The headline or the tweet was, the tweet was, this isn't a review of Far Cry 6 because honestly, I can't play this shit anymore. I can't do it. The headline, Far Cry 6, is creatively and morally bankrupt. And it was Matthew Galt. I just wanted to make sure I had that correctly cited. I understand it. I know where you're coming from. But maybe in that situation, we all need to sit back and think about how many times we have played a certain thing in the succession in which we've done it. If you've played every single Far Cry game and you play them all when they come out, I think that you might be okay. But I also understand why you would be a little stressed out. Far Cry games come out every two years at this point. Honestly, more recently, it feels like every year. But there's always a Far Cry something. And as you play that more and more and more, it makes sense that you would be tired of it. Also, if you don't like that version of game or you've changed as a person as those games have released, if you don't like them, don't play them. But for myself, who has played Far Cry since Far Cry 3 to completion in Far Cry 3 and 4, I don't believe I completed Far Cry 5. I did complete Far Cry New Dawn, the weird post-apocalyptic Mad Max mixture. I started Far Cry, oh no, what was it called? The prehistoric one, Far Cry Primal. I started it, I never really got into it. I kind of wish I had because Elias Tufexis is one of the voices, if not the protagonist's voice, and Elias Tufexis rules. Adam Jensen from the Deus Ex games. Also, Andre Coben from Splinter Cell Conviction and Splinter Cell Blacklist. He's great. He's got a really ashy, smoky voice that plays out like this, but he's not hamming it up. I've just heard him talk, and it rules. Anyway, I played Far Cry 6. I really enjoyed it. It felt like the f- culmination of all of the, Far- the all of the Ubisoft properties. You had heat zones on the map to let you know where enemies were. That's cribbed straight from Rainbow or, um not Rainbow Six. That's cribbed straight from Ghost Recon. You had convoys. Also, very Ghost Recon. Grab a convoy, get some supplies. The stealth felt good. The shooting felt good. I don't like that your your silencers heat or overheat as quickly as they do. I understand that's going towards realism, and that's fine. I like to just get in the gunfight and not worry about it. But I also get that, you know, for people, it's fun to make sure that Your games punish you for doing things that aren't possible in real life. Anyway, what am I trying to say? I'm rambling. We're 10 minutes in. You've listened to me ramble. I wonder what 
perhaps concessions is the wrong word, but I wonder what, <clears throat> excuse me, I wonder what kind of changes we could make so that what we end up reading isn't as impacted by a reviewer who's given not enough time to play a game and who has played so many games over the last year that things that are apparent and clear to them are invisible to people that play five games a year instead of 12. One game a month is being generous in a lot of cases, especially for sites that only have a few reviewers and a few editors. Some of those people are playing two or three games a month. 30 games a year? Could you play 30 games a year to completion and not get tired of something that you've seen all year? Imagine doing that for five years and noticing that Ubisoft-style open worlds have become the norm. So every time you open up an open world game, you're looking at the same thing. Now, to somebody who played Far Cry 4, who skipped Far Cry 5 and jumps into Far Cry 6, tell you what, five years separated, you jump into a game and you know how it works? It's perfect. It's what you want. Now you play Far Cry every single time they release a game. Not because you want to, but because you have to. Your opinion of it not being that different is going to change. Because, of course, you would rather be doing something else. Again, I cannot be more clear. I hold Matthew Galt in this specific case. I hold no responsibility to him at all for this specific situation. I don't hold it against him, is what I'm trying to say. Because I bet there was a list of codes that came out, or there were a list of people that could get codes. And he was the one that was the most appropriate for this game. And he went into it hoping desperately that something had changed enough that it would make him want to care again. And it didn't. That's fine. That's fine. Interesting, I've wanted to talk about that apparently for a while because that's not why I intended to start this podcast. I... Wanted to record another solo show because the last couple episodes have been not solo shows, and I think that's kind of cool. We got an episode with Osama Dorius right around Christmas. That was very good. Talked about being a parent and being a member of a minority working in the game industry, and talked about a bunch of other things, including food. You'll notice that Bounty Board is largely turned into a podcast about making games being an adult in the game industry, being a parent in the game industry, and food. The last episode was Fauzi Mesmer, the third of the Habibis. I captured them all. I'm a Habibi master now. I got my badge. I beat the, the master of the Habibi gym. I didn't beat anybody. It was a, it was a blast having them on. Fauzi came on, we talked about the origins of creativity, because it's something he's very interested in. Um, and then, believe it or not, talked about food. And of all the food we could talk about, Fauzi said, when I prompted him with the question, if you could make a game about food, what would it be? He said, ramen. And if you know me, which I imagine a lot of you listeners do know me, thank you, friends, for listening. Ramen is one of my favorite things. So, of course, we had to talk about ramen for 10 minutes. 
In between those two interviews, I had the folks from Okomotive. They're a studio in Zurich that made Far Loan Sales, a game I wrote about a few years ago that I really, really liked. Got to talk to them about making loan sales and about working remotely in Zurich and about just making games during the pandemic and what that's been like and having a small team that couldn't really meet and dealing with that. And then we got to talk a little bit about Far Changing Tides, the game that's coming out. Well, I guess if you're listening to this, the game that came out today, March 1st. I'll have thoughts about that posted soon. But that is part of the reason why I wanted to talk, because I will have thoughts about that game that I will write down. But I've had a hard time writing recently. I say recently. I've had a hard time writing for months. If you look at my website, which I hope, People do occasionally. I know you don't have to all the time, but I hope occasionally someone finds their way onto nerdybits.com and reads something that I write. I haven't written anything since October 29th when I wrote about Sable. I deeply, deeply enjoyed Sable, but my frequency in writing has dropped off. Maybe not dropped off, but at least it's pretty infrequent. And there's a reason for that. And I, for a long time, just debated trying to figure out or trying to tell people what that reason is because it's not exactly straightforward people would call out hey you haven't written anything in a long time what's up with that i don't know in a lot of cases but if you look back at just the last two years just the last two years in 2020 goddamn i wrote a lot hey welcome to pandemic you guys sit home and do what right In January, I wrote about Coffee Talk. Uh, I introduced Nerdy Fits on April 3rd, which wasn't really an article, but it was a really cool video that I wanted to do more of, and guess what? Didn't. I wrote the review for Blood Roots in April. Stardew Valley article later in April. XCOM Chimera Squad review in May. Repost of an article in May. My grandma wrote something in May. After that, we wait until July. No, I didn't even write that. So the last thing I wrote in 2020 was May 14. And then I didn't write another thing until February of 2021. Almost a year when I wrote about Forza. Getting really into Forza Horizon 4. Later that week, I had a lot of thoughts on Ghost of Tsushima and PlayStation Prestige Storytelling. There's this thing. There's this thing. Prestige TV. If you've watched AMC, you've seen it. If you've watched really any TV post-Mad Men, you've seen it at least once. It's when television stations put a lot of money and a lot of effort into creating really, really, really well-built narrative fiction. Mad Men, Walking Dead, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, those are all AMC, right? HBO's been doing it for years with The Wire, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Euphoria now. I see, saw, continue to see PlayStation's single-player storytelling, single-player exclusive games, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, your Ghost of Tsushima's, your uh, Horizon Zero Dawn's, your Horizon Forbidden West's. Congratulations to that team, Guerrilla Games, just putting that out in the last couple weeks. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Spider-Man 2. Upcoming games, like 
Wolverine. I see all of their single-player exclusive games like I see prestige television. And Ghost of Tsushima, I think, was the best to illustrate that. It was just the purification of a formula made by, believe it or not, Ubisoft in Assassin's Creed 2, but 15 years later, 12 years later, 10 years later. What if we took all the things that game did and made them better? Huh. Novel concept. What if all the things we've grown familiar with and understand, we made them again, but so that they ran better and looked better? I love to go to Tsushima. Does it do anything new? Really? No. The combat is largely the Arkham system of combat with heavy attacks, lights at light attacks, blocking, and parries. Add in a couple different stances, and you're really just hitting a button before you attack a certain enemy of a certain type. But you're not really changing the way you fight. It's just now your attacks do something different against big guys or shielded guys. But the game was great. And it was because the storytelling was good. Mad Men isn't different than other movies. What's different about it is that it's a movie every week. It was a movie every week. Prestige Television. 13 episodes of a show in a season. 13 hours. You have a lot of time to tell a story there. You have a lot of time to take your time investigating different characters. That's why prestige television works. Because it gives you all this time with all these different characters. It gives you all this time with these people to get close to them, learn who they are. So that when things that are big or small happen, you have emotional investment. Anyway, I wrote about that in February. Then a break until April when I talked about, you know, 2020 being fucking hard. 2021 following suit. Then we talked about hunting co-op games later that month, a thing that I have constantly battled with. Put out my first impressions of Second Instinction, which would in turn become my last impressions, because I uninstalled that game shortly after. I reviewed Jason Schreier's book in May. Wrote about stealth games, my love, later in May. And then Sable, a world worth exploring in October. Barely. Almost, almost November. I haven't written anything since then, and when I tell you I've had a lot to write, I've had a lot to write. It's not for a lack of ideas, but there's just this thing that impacts me, and I don't know if it's a combination of wondering if people care, or if it's, it's I don't know if it's a combination of wondering if people care and also not caring myself, because I don't think that I don't care, but I do think that I don't think people care. I don't know if that made sense. Though any, any way you could describe me as not caring about writing about a thing is because I'm afraid that people don't care that I write a thing. Should I worry about that? No. When people I know, people that are close to me, are making art or are making something they care about, I frequently tell them, do not pay attention to whether or not people care. You'll drive yourself insane. You'll lose your mind. Making things and being afraid of throwing it into the void is just being afraid of what? Irrelevance? Who cares? Who cares? Make what you want to make and do it. This is ironic because I can't make myself do that sometimes. Sometimes it's tied to procrastination. Sometimes it's tied to Maybe a lack of self-confidence because I can't figure out what I want to write or how I want to write it. 
but I've had the Halo Infinite review tumbling around in my head for the better part of four months now. I've wanted to write about all the games I started playing that were nonviolent during 2020 and 2021, and how as an adult I'm finding that my competitive side is a little less ravenous as it was when I was younger. Though recently I've desperately wanted to just shoot and blow things up with my friends, and all my friends are playing games that are no longer competitive at the moment. And it's a it's a bummer because, you know, it's hard to sync up desires in games with friends. It's been a long time since Mass Effect 3 when we all played the multiplayer and no one had to wonder what we were doing that night. We'd have a party of eight people, we'd have two separate games going, and we would just have fun. It's been a long time since we've had a big group all doing the same thing. Doesn't help that Battlefield launched like shit last year and continues to run like shit. Doesn't help that Halo launched and people don't seem to have stuck to it as much as I did. I absolutely love it. I could play it every day. Maybe I should start playing it every day. But I have I have articles that I want to write. I always have articles that I want to write. And for whatever reason, I can't spit them out. So just know that when you listen to my podcast every week, there is a part of me that tries to give you my reviews of things in podcast form. And in all honesty, if I were to read one of my reviews, be it 800 to 2,000 words, I could get through it in 5 to 15 minutes. And if you listen to a podcast for an hour, I should be able to illustrate why I like the thing in that amount of time. I should. I don't always, but I should. A lot of the reason that I have a hard time writing is there are several times that I try very hard to make sure by my writing, I make it very clear that everybody that told me writing about games or investigating or studying games in any seriousness, anybody who said that doing any of those things around games with any seriousness was stupid. I try to make sure when I write, I make them know they were wrong. It's this bitter internal struggle that I'm fighting because there are so many people that laughed at me when I said something or laughed at a book I was reading that was how to write about games for a living or in my senior thesis when I tried to pitch Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood as a way, as a means of experiencing historical Renaissance Italy and the notable figures in that space. When I got laughed out of the room by a professor who then convinced all of the rest of the professors of the English department on the board that were reviewing final or senior theses, theses, convinced all of them to also agree with him. I so badly want to find his email address or run across him at a coffee shop and be like, hey, remember when you, remember when I tried to suggest that you could learn a lot about Italian Renaissance Italy? You could learn a lot about Renaissance Italy that's redundant through a video game. And you said, I don't see the education value in these board games as if you 
were so disinterested in what I was saying, you weren't even listening to the fact that I was saying video game. You just heard board game. My son plays board games, and I just don't see. I want to find him someday, run across him, probably retired thinking he's done with teaching. I want to find him someday and point him to the articles that showed just a few years later that Assassin's Creed Origins was the best way to experience ancient Egypt as deemed by scholars of fucking Egyptology. Or when the Notre, when Notre Dame caught on fire and the team that made, Ubisoft, made Assassin's Creed Unity were able to lend some of their copious and highly detailed scans to help rebuild it the way it was before because those scans were high, more highly detailed than the blueprints that they had obviously it's a couple hundred years newer or assassin's creed odyssey's history tour and going around ancient greece or you'll better believe that there will be a history tour in assassin's creed valhalla that runs you through old feudal england I want so badly to look him in the face and say, I had this idea first. I think about it probably more than I should. <laughs> That's kind of been my life doing this. I'm 10 years in this May. May 2012 to May 2022. This is year 10. And I'm not sure what I've gotten from it. I am, in a way, very sure. Because I have a Discord community that's great, full of cool people. We talk about fun stuff. We joke about dumb shit. It's great. The streams, when I was doing the streams consistently in 2020, were a blast. And I constantly had friends who have become followers. Followers who become friends. Always in, always hanging out, always talking. I miss that. I want to do that more. I just got to figure out my schedule, and I got to get past the thought that maybe people don't care. I've done interviews with important people over the last couple months, and I still worry constantly that maybe, just maybe, not as many people care about it as I think they do. I have the numbers for the episodes, right? I've seen how many people listen to each of them. And I know how many followers the people that come on have. It'd be nice if all their followers would listen to the shows. They don't. But I don't blame them either because there's so much stuff out there for you to do. And I shouldn't be so caught up in looking at numbers. I should be doing it because I love it. My goal behind recording this episode was largely because I wanted to say, I told you so, to everybody that told me not to do it. I have friends that tell me that they think I'm an expert in this field. And while I will be the first to turn that compliment around and sling it into the direction of someone else who taught me more than I've taught anybody about games, it still does impact me. It still does make me think, maybe I'm pulling it off. Because I started doing this 10 years ago. And 
at first I didn't know what it was, and I was in college, but I recorded episodes of this very podcast in college. It wasn't called this at the time, and the feed is so chopped up and frayed at the end, it's impossible to find them, but I'll find them someday and repost some some episodes with Mario or John. These episodes were fucking great. I didn't know what I was doing, though, and for a while I didn't know what I was doing until, of course, I moved out on my own after college and started to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I came across articles by guys, by folks like Austin Walker and Carolyn Pettit, articles that I would read and go, oh, shit, games can be talked about a different way. Austin Walker wrote about, and I still have this bookmarked, it's a paste article he wrote from, it's gotta be five, six, seven years old. I'm gonna see if I can find it while I'm talking about it, but he wrote, in as short a term as as short terms as I can put it, he wrote about what games did to NPCs in 2014 that made playing games fundamentally different. Because for a long time it was, oh yeah, you shoot that guy, blow him up. Yeah, it's the shit. Shoot that guy, blow him up. But then all of a sudden, 2014 is when this came out. <laughs> Boom. Called it. Shadow of Mordor comes out. Watch Dogs comes out. Both flawed games in some way. Watch Dogs more than Shadow of Mordor. But what they both did is they contextualized their NPCs in the world that they lived in more than games had before. The article by Austin Walker on Paste is called Real Human Beings, Shadow of Mordor, Watchdogs, and the New NPC. And in that article, he talks about killing an orc in Shadow of Mordor, who then came back and tried to kill him, because the game will do that to you. And then he possessed him, which you could do. You can take over their minds. You dominate orcs. And you can have bend them to your will. And later, coming across that orc, like standing on a ledge, asking, just saying, kill me. But like he couldn't kill him. Because anytime he died, because he was dominated, he would come back. Or because the game had fallen into a loop of whatever system they have built, he couldn't die. And how that made him think, like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm torturing this person. And then Watch Dogs has this, this his, his segment on Watch Dogs has this really brilliant moment that just kind of froze me. We're talking about playing Watch Dogs in what is obviously South Chicago, going through poorer neighborhoods. Watch Dogs had this system built into the game that you could come across or come to crimes that were in the process of happening had just happened or were about to happen and based on your response time you could stop those that were about to happen or those that were currently happening you could jump in and be you know you could stand in the gap right sometimes you came across them after they happened and austin writes about this experience in south chicago and watchdogs wherein he heard a gunshot Heard screaming, came around the corner and saw a dead body on the ground. 
and somebody's sprinting in the opposite direction. And of course, you can't do anything in that situation to stop what has happened. So you go and you tell yourself, I'm going to go stop this guy. I'm going to go make him, I'm going to go stop him and I'm going to make sure the police come in. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from this article. There's one element of Watchdog's CTOS that I haven't seen anyone address. Sometimes a crime occurs that CTOS misses. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes, for instance, you're in the wards, which is the game's poor approximation of Chicago's south side. And sometimes, as you leave a store, you hear a gunshot. And then there's screaming, the carefully, professionally recorded screaming and sobbing of a young black woman. And sometimes you run over and see her, and others, around the body of a young black man. And sometimes it is the early summer of 2014, and the deaths of Jordan Davis and Trayvon Martin will not leave your mind, my mind. And no, this is not a dead black man. It's the body of a young black boy in a hoodie and jeans. And I can't check his name because he's already dead. And I see the man, the white man, fleeing. There aren't any sirens at all, because the power of fantasy of watchdogs is simple. In a world with oppressive, technocratic social structures, you get to be Aiden Pierce, the human force of justice. The fantasy isn't fixing the problem, it's giving a gun to another white man. And it's broken. And I feel broken for loving it. But I know that no one at Ubisoft wrote this particular scenario. No one is purposefully... No one is purposely capitalizing on my fears as a black man still feeling like a black boy. This is just an algorithm, and it works all the better for it. This is just life simulated. And I decide I won't kill him, but I will hurt him. I'll hurt him bad. I'll hit the button that swings out Pierce's baton. I'll slam the button hard as if that means something. But he has a sneering face and a stuffed bank account. And he's on the FBI watch list, and they did nothing. But they knew. They had to know. His name is William Jones, and I shot him three times, twice in the back and once in the head. I remember reading this article and, like, in tears, realizing, like, I'd had moments like that. And I wanted to write about those things. That's why I wanted to do what I'm doing now. And I'm bummed slightly because, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't work with Austin at Way at Waypoint anymore. It's no longer there. I wanted to work with the McElroy brothers when they were at Polygon. They're not at Polygon anymore. I've been doing it for ten years, and in those ten years, a lot of people that I've really wanted to work with have left because, as it turns out, the game industry doesn't really like keeping people around for too long because it's tiring. <laughs> Sometimes you have to write reviews about a game that you're well beyond tired of. But I remember reading this article and everything that comes with it and realizing there's a way to talk about these experiences that is beyond just the mechanics are good, the graphics are good, and uh, it's pretty fun. And I decided then and there that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but, you know, this stuff's hard. This industry is not easy to break into. Uh, as somebody who's doing freelance work it's even harder to break into if you're doing it on your own 
and entrepreneurial journalism is new and something that people are doing more and more now. But I would also argue that in large parts, in large portions of that field, entrepreneurial journalism, there are pieces of shit doing shitty stuff, putting out fake or deliberately misinformed articles and pieces of material that get passed around and the consensus is formed on things that do not exist. It's tough. Journalism and journalist has been a bad word to a lot of people over the last six years. Thanks to, you know, a lot of things, not specific, not, not specifically our previous president, but not also not leaving him out. Fake news. Everyone wants to talk about fake news. Everyone wants to fucking talk about fake news. God. So many people convinced that there's a narrative, but just playing into their own fucking narrative. So little critical thinking. And I had a professor who once told me he saw no educational purpose in games. And through games, I've seen people taught about things they could not have experienced. Abusers who played almost human and were able to see abuse from the outside and realize what they do to their family. In good representations of black culture, white kids playing games with black characters that are real, that let them see how life is for them. For people like me who were once depressed and couldn't get through a day, finding a way to have the power to save a planet, to save a world, to save a people, to save a nation. I had a coworker at Starbucks for years, who was from Italy, his name was Filippo. Great dude, funny as fuck. I could talk to him in broken Italian because of the Assassin's Creed games. Because Ezio Auditore da Firenze had taught me how to speak Italian. Not very well, obviously. But I would show up every day to work and say, Filippo, amico mio. He thought I was a CIA agent because no one just knows how to do that. He's in the United States more than that. He's in the Midwest. I don't blame him. But also, if I'm a CIA agent and I'm working at a Starbucks, you have way worse things to worry about than my French uh, or Italian words I picked up from a video game. See, games are super, super important. They're only getting more important. So I'm going to stick around. I'm going to keep doing it. And I can't wait until I come across just one person who thought this shit was dumb. Because I can't wait to say I told you so. I didn't even finish my own story. 2014, I read that article by Austin, and I start changing the way I write reviews. I want to write, because I am a small outlet and I can't write reviews, to have them out on embargo day because I don't get them early. I have to 
figure out a new way to frame or contextualize what I'm writing about. So instead, I decided to dive into reviews from an emotional standpoint, how the games impacted me on a personal level. So I wrote about Florence. It was the first time I felt like I'd had that formula nailed. I'd written about other things in the past, but the real big change is 2018, just a few months after my grandfather dies. And I write about Florence, a game my grandmother and I played in the hospital in the ICU waiting room that ended up framing how we were going to, or how my grandmother was going to deal with the grief of losing her partner of the last 43 years. We couldn't have expected that, but when it, when it happened, I knew I had to tell that story. And when I told that story, when I wrote about it, it was tough. Yes, it was very hard. But when I posted it, it resonated with people. And the people who created the game got to see it. And after they got to see it and they got to respond to how it made them feel to see someone impacted by their game this way, that's when I absolutely knew it. I knew that's what I got to do. That means I'm not going to write a lot of reviews because not every game I play speaks to me in a way that's worth sharing because I don't have the audience. No, that's not true. It's not even audience. I don't have the access to play something ahead of time and give it to you before you buy it. Now, given I have a lot of friends that just wait until the first time it goes on sale. And to them, we have conversations. You listen to me talk about it in a podcast. But if I'm wanting to write about something that impacted me personally, it's not really about selling you the game. And a lot of reviews are. It's more about selling you a moment. It's boxing and rapping and tying a bow on an experience, a human experience drawn from the code of a game and giving it to you in the best, easiest to read format. And I can't do that in a podcast all the time. Will I start reading some reviews here? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Because I know I have more people that read, that li- sorry, more people that listen to this podcast because you can do it while you're riding to work or you can do it while you're doing the dishes or folding the laundry than people that sit down and read a 2,000-word article. I can read through that in 15 minutes. You're welcome. I'll start doing that more. I want to write about Halo. I'm going to write about Halo eventually. But I have such a hard time starting because Halo has meant so much to me for the last 20 years, 21 years, you know, 20 years, however long, 2001, 20 years. I played the first game. I've played every game. I've read a lot of the books. I found out I'm very far behind and that makes me sad, but I've read a lot of the books. And Halo Infinite did something for me. And it's really hard to contextualize what it did because it's really hard to write about something impacting you that personally without kind of stripping away a bunch of armor and being willing to, like, be vulnerable. So I'll write about Halo. Don't worry. I'll also write about, you know, nonviolent games because those were very important for me in the last couple of years. I also have a series that I want to do sometime soon where I stream tactical games because i have oh, just to look at the list of stuff i've got sitting on the side of my desktop i've got empire sin which i might not play it wasn't a bunch, wasn't wasn't that much fun when i tested out at the beginning anyway i've got phoenix point I've got phantom brigade i've got gears tactics i've got phantom doctrine i've got ruin raiders john wick hex which is also turn-based 
I want to play through those games. I want to talk tactics with y'all. I have things I want to do, and I'm just, I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere, which simultaneously is also, I fucking told you so to everybody who said, nah. And you know what's the best part about this? I'll listen to this episode someday because I sometimes need to hear myself say to myself, I told you so. I wrote about Florence. I wrote about Farlow and sales. I got that team on. But this January, I started fucking teaching at Webster University. I started teaching intro to video game studies or intro to video game design and world design. Eight years ago, I was told by a professor that they didn't see the educational value in video games. And now I'm a professor teaching video games. Fuck you, bro. (laughs) Ah, fuck you. I would have grace if I ever ran into this person again. I wouldn't be mean. But I just would want to ask them if they ever thought about me after they said that shit. Because it destroyed me then. And now? Now, knowing what happened and what has happened since? Man, I wish I'd fought harder. But I guess that's what the last 10 years have been. We're all fighting always anyway, right? Sometimes you have to fight for. Something that other people think is dumb. But who knows? But who knows? Thanks for hanging around. I guess. That's another big one. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks for spending your time watching, listening to, reading stuff that I or the people I do podcasts with put out. It's extremely important to me. And I don't have a way of saying thank you to everybody except through the Discord. And that would feel weird. I feel like that would feel weird. Maybe I'll still do it. Regardless, thanks. Thanks for sticking around. Not going anywhere. Don't have any plans to. Now, if I go get a job somewhere, somewhere big, and they're like, you have to not do that. Uh, Maybe. But I've also debated saying no to people that say I have to stop doing this to work for them. I'm not not sure I want to let this go ever. But we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. Pulling the cart before the horse. Games fucking rule, y'all. They're always going to rule for me. They're always going to be important. They're always going to be a big part of who I am, what I do, and why I'm happy. And in one very real case, why I'm alive. So if anybody ever tells you that what you want to do is stupid, fucking ignore them. Fucking ignore them. If they say it because they don't get it, fucking... Just move on. Just let them sit over there. It's not your responsibility to, 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 to convince them. It's not your responsibility to deal with that. Let it go. Let it slide off your back. Let it breeze right past you. Dodge those darts. 
Do what you want to do because you believe in it. And that sounds, I don't know, like a Pinterest poster you'd print out and hang on your wall. But, like, I'm 10 years in. I went to the Game Awards last year. I got to hang out with Rami Ismail in person and go to lunch. Met some really cool fucking people. I'm doing podcasts with people like the vice president of Ubisoft, vice president of editorial at Ubisoft. Those podcasts are opening doors to other cool people. I get to do one with a composer here soon. It's, you know, it seems like it's working. And because of that, got to tell that one professor to go fuck himself. <laughs> anyway, thanks for hanging out for me with me for an hour. I have another interview coming up soon that I don't want to announce until I know for sure it's happening. And I've got other interviews that may be the result of doing previous interviews that I'm also trying to figure out. And so I don't want to announce until they're happening. Just know that I've got a creative director and a composer and a legal specialist and an investor. I've got a bunch of just cool fucking shit happening. And I'm trying to make sure that I mind my P's and Q's and don't mess up or don't fanboy in any situation. Because I'm a small, independent guy. I don't know these people, so I got to fake it till I make it. And so far, I'm getting people on, and they're connecting me to their friends, and I'm, I'm doing it right. Just got to stay careful. Stay safe, everybody. Omicron seems to be dying out, so we get to hang out with our friends again. And that fucking rules. Baseball season's right around the corner, and I might just start a baseball podcast called Nerdy Bats about the St. Louis Cardinals because I cannot wait for baseball to start. We've got another episode of the Nerdy Bits Show. We're recording this week, so it'll be out on Friday. Happy Tuesday. Happy March 1st. Let's get the spring weather in and the winter weather the fuck out. Thank you to Monster Cat for letting us use music on our episodes and if you're interested in that go to monstercat.com and check out their goal subscription you can find anything nerdy bits does on nerdybits.com or you can go to twitter and find us at nerdy underscore bits you can find me at lubwub l-u-b-w-u-b that's on xbox playstation twitter instagram the places that are important don't go to instagram i don't post there instagram is one of those social media apps that's just lost on me on tiktok it's the real lubwub because so apparently Love Web was taken. I don't fucking know. Anyway, thanks for being chill. Thanks for hanging out. Cross your fingers. Maybe I'll get the stream put together soon. Also, keep your eyes peeled for a Halo article. And more podcasts, of course. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stopped playing. Keep playing games. Never grow old, y'all.